It's Friday, November 15th. I'm Martine Powers. This is an impeachment inquiry update from Post Reports. Committee will come to order. Good morning, everyone. So, Shane Harris. This is the second in a series of public hearings. This is day two of the public hearings in the impeachment inquiry, and we are hearing from Marie Yovanovitch, the former ambassador to Ukraine. But before we even got a chance to hear from Yovanovitch, this thing happened between Republicans and Democrats that was very similar to a thing that happened on Wednesday. Mr. Chairman, I have a parliamentary inquiry. Um, The gentleman is not recognized. I do want to comment. uh, Mr. Chairman, I have a point of order under HRES 660. The gentleman will state her point of order. Uh, the point of order is, will the chairman continue well, to Well, we witnesses? saw this in the first round of testimony from uh, George Kent and Bill Taylor, where Republicans start interrupting Adam Schiff, the chairman, saying things like, uh, point of order. Mr. Speaker, I have a, I do. Chairman, I have a. Uh, yeah. The gentleman's not recognized. The chairman, I have a point of order. The gentleman's not recognized. I have a point of order, though. The gentleman's not recognized. Trying to essentially use this opportunity to say publicly, you're not letting us call the witnesses we want to call. We don't like the way that you've set up the hearings. We feel like this is unfair to us. And kind of you know, throwing up some sand in the gears, if you like. Uh, Schiff this morning was actually really resistant and kept saying things like, the gentleman is not recognized. The gentleman is not recognized. The gentleman is not recognized. Mr. Chairman, there are four transcripts that have not been released. The gentleman is not recognized. Until basically the Republicans just gave up with that and they had to move forward with opening statements. And it creates this atmosphere of contentiousness, I think, between them. Oh, yeah. I mean, Republicans want to take every opportunity that they can to remind people that they object to the process with which these hearings have been held behind closed doors and object to the process now. And remember, the resolution that was voted on to create these public hearings got zero Republican votes. So they very much view this as a kind of railroad of the president. I would expect we're going to see a reprise of this in other hearings as well, them taking that opportunity to, to remind people we don't support what's happening here. So today was the first time that we're hearing publicly from Yovanovitch about the events that transpired this year. Remind us who she is and why she's important to the narrative that the Democrats are trying to make. Marie Ivanovich is a career foreign service officer with more than three decades of experience serving around the world in many different posts in many different countries. She was the U.S. ambassador in Ukraine and was very well known and had a reputation in Ukraine for being very tough on corruption, that fighting corruption and promoting rule of law was one of the things that she really wanted to make kind of a hallmark of her ambassadorship. And important to underscore, that is United States policy. That is even the Trump administration's official policy. So deeply respected in the Foreign Service Corps, somebody with a lot of experience, but a kind of an outsized figure well-known in Ukraine as somebody who was tough, who meant business, uh, and was not afraid to, I think, incur the opposition and the enmity of people that she was trying to expose and put out of business. So one of the reasons why she was testifying was to talk about basically how she lost her job, how she was fired very publicly as ambassador. What did we know about that going into this hearing? Well, we had known quite a bit about it, actually, from reporting, but also from her own statements and closed-door depositions. And what she did today was she laid out what she describes as this smear campaign against her that was orchestrated principally by Rudy Giuliani and allies of his both in Ukraine and outside. After being asked by the Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs in early March 2019 to extend my tour until 2020, 
The smear campaign against me entered a new public phase in the United States. In the wake of the negative press, State Department officials suggested an earlier departure, and we agreed upon July 2019. I was then abruptly told, just weeks later in late April, to come back to Washington from Ukraine on the next plane. She meets with the Deputy Secretary of the State Department who says, you're being removed, the president has lost confidence in you, and you're being recalled from post. No real reason was offered as to why I had to leave and why it was being done in such a manner. Did you have any indication that the State Department had lost confidence in you? No. And she talks about how devastating that was for her. Yes. I mean, this is, we should really underscore this. This is not normal. Ambassadors who do not have any negative marks in their records and have no complaints on record from their superiors or from the White House don't just get fired. And this was an important position. Ukraine is a strategically vitally important country in Europe for U.S. interests. This is a big job. And this was, I think, probably going to be her last posting as a career ambassador. And so she does say that it was it was devastating. It was shocking. She didn't understand. And remember, she also understands that it's happening in the context of lots of rumors that are being spread around Ukraine and things that she understands are coming from people associated with the president, not from official channels. So I think that we can kind of appreciate how unusual this was and how stunning and how unfair she thought it was, too. How could our system fail like this? How is it that foreign corrupt interests could manipulate our government? Which country's interests are served when the very corrupt behavior we have been criticizing is allowed to prevail? Such conduct undermines the U.S., exposes our friends, and widens the playing field for autocrats like President Putin. But at the same time, President Trump fires a lot of people, and he fires them in very public and embarrassing ways. And Yovanovitch was fired in May of this year. So that is before the call between President Trump and Ukrainian President Zelensky. That's before this pressure campaign ramped up having to do with holding off on giving military aid to Ukraine. And so what does her firing have to do with the central question of was there a, a, a quid pro quo being conducted by the president or his circle? Well, I think that it might not have a lot directly to do with that question. I think it is related in the following sense, that as part of this alleged quid pro quo effort, it's being pushed by Rudy Giuliani, by political appointees at the State Department within what Bill Taylor has called that unofficial channel. And one of the goals that Rudy Giuliani had in all of the work that he was doing in Ukraine was not just to sort of push this policy that was about extracting investigations, but essentially the allegation is that he wanted to also eliminate people that were standing in the way of his own business interests and those of his associates. So removing Yovanovitch is seen as an attempt to send essentially a message in Ukraine that, yeah, this person who's really tough on corruption, we're getting rid of her. The one you don't like, we're getting, we're getting her out of here. And she talks a lot about that. And I thought what was surprisingly... Um, very broad tones. I mean, they were, they were, there was a sense going in that I think we believe that Yovanovitch was kind of going to be the Democrats' witness to play the role of the victim, quote unquote, right? And that she was going to talk about um, how devastated she was personally and the attacks on her. And while she did that, she also went to great lengths to broaden out why this was a problem. These events should concern everyone in this room. Ambassadors are the symbol of the United States abroad, they are the personal representative of the president. They should always act and speak with full authority to advocate for U.S. policies. 
If our chief representative is kneecapped, it limits our effectiveness to safeguard the vital national security interests of the United States. There was also a very remarkable moment that happened during this testimony where Yovanovitch was being asked questions by the Democrats' attorney, and then... Mr. Yovanovitch, uh, as we sit here testifying, the president is attacking you on Twitter. And then House Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff broke in and basically said, look, you should know that President Trump is tweeting about you right now as we speak. He read the tweet. Everywhere Marie Yovanovitch went turned bad. She started off in Somalia. How did that go? Uh, he goes on to say uh, later in the tweet, is a U.S. president's absolute right to appoint ambassadors. And then he asked her what she thought, what her response was. Right. And she said that it was intimidating. Well, uh, it's very intimidating. Which is a very particular and notable choice of words, right? Well, I want to let you know, Ambassador, that some of us here take witness intimidation very, very seriously. Uh, Mr. Goldman. And it would not surprise me if this moment ends up in an article of impeachment. The Democrats have been very clear that they already consider the White House's unwillingness to hand over certain documents and their unwillingness to make certain firsthand witnesses unavailable available or testimony could constitute a case of obstruction. You could see them putting witness intimidation into the mix as well. So then I thought it was interesting that that Republican members who were questioning Yovanovitch kind of took a very different approach from the president. They started complimenting her, thanking her for her service to the United States. Thank you, Ambassador. Before I was interrupted, I wanted to thank you for your 30 years of public service. Talking about uh, what a great ambassador she was and had been. Ambassador, I want to tell you I have a great deal of respect for what you do. I serve on the Armed Services Committee, the Intelligence Committee. I've worked with the NATO Parliamentary Assembly, including being its president. And I know the complexity of, of what you do. And they use that as a jumping off point to basically say... It's up to the president to decide who he wants to have in that role and that you weren't fired. You still work for the State Department. You're still earning a government salary. You were able to be this fellow at Georgetown. Basically, what are you complaining about? Yeah, their strategy was essentially to say, we think you're great, but you're irrelevant to this proceeding. And things worked out fine for you. You went through some tough stuff, but now you've got this cush job and everything is okay. Important to remember that Ambassador Ivanovich did kind of speak up again in defense of herself at some point. What I'd like to say is while I, I um, obviously don't dispute that the president has the right to, um, to withdraw an ambassador at, at, at any time for any reason, um, but what I do wonder is why it was necessary to smear my reputation. And Republicans did not have a good answer for that. And, and I think what they were trying to do in praising her was to counteract the tweet that the president sent out in which he blamed her basically for all the problems in Somalia and said she was terrible, which, I mean, there's not only no evidence of that, there is abundant counter evidence to that. And the members of the committee absolutely knew that and knew that they had to do damage control. And it's also worth noting that multiple Republicans brought up the fact that after Yovanovitch was removed from her role, that Bill Taylor was brought in to replace her and that he is widely seen as another highly respected diplomat, a person with a lot of uh, experience in that region, and that that 
that undermines the idea that Yovanovitch was kicked out for political reasons if another very respected person was put in right after her. Right. And this is a strategy we've seen the Republicans deploying in today, too, and frankly, the White House as well. When you look at, for instance, um, members saying today, well, we understand the military aid may have been held up at one point, but eventually they got the military aid. So what's the problem? And, you know, it's sort of like as if saying, well, everything worked out the way that it was supposed to. So any behavior that went on that was irregular before then is somehow irrelevant. You know, that's illogical. I mean, people have made the point that, you know, attempted murder is still a crime. (laughs) Even if you didn't kill somebody, the attempt to do this is what's at issue here. And this is not a criminal proceeding. They're trying to focus on the president's behavior. So Ivanovich, you know, pointed out that first of all, Bill Taylor is not the ambassador. He actually hasn't been confirmed. He's the he's the chief diplomat over there. But you know, Bill Taylor wasn't somebody who was targeted by Rudy Giuliani and by the prosecutor general general of Ukraine and by Rudy Giuliani's business associates. He wasn't the target of a smear campaign. She was. And okay, fine. They appoint somebody who is a highly credible person who clearly has concerns about you know Ukrainian corruption. That doesn't mean that all those things did not happen to Marie Ivanovich, and it doesn't excuse what did happen to her. So, what happens next in the impeachment inquiry? So, actually, today there's a deposition being done of a man named David Holmes, who we've talked about in previous editions. This is the newly revealed witness to a phone conversation between Gordon Sundland who is running Ukraine policy for the president and the president himself, where he asks about investigations. This is the phone call that we just heard about on Wednesday, two days ago. That's right. Yeah, the one that Bill Taylor sort of dropped in there and saying he himself had just learned about it the previous Friday. So that's new information. That individual is being deposed. I would suspect he will be eventually a public witness as well. And so then on Saturday, the action continues. Uh, Mark Sandy, who is an OMB official, is going to testify. um, And it's expected that Sandy will be able to fill in a lot of the gaps and understanding around why the military aid to Ukraine was held up, and that was being held up by the OMB. And then next week, we're going to see more of what we saw this week, except several more of these hearings and witnesses coming forward. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, there are witnesses scheduled in tandem. There are witnesses scheduled in the morning and the afternoon. What the Democrats are trying to do is get through as much of this process as they can, maybe take a week off for Thanksgiving and come back and I think do one more week. Then they're going to write their report, which is to sum up everything they've learned in these depositions and in the public hearings. Then that goes over to the Judiciary Committee and we're in the next phase of the process. And Shane, you will be with us next week to talk about all of that. Yes, I will be here. There's no escaping. Shane Harris is a national security reporter for The Post. That's it for this segment of Post Reports. Full episodes of our show come out every weekday afternoon. You can subscribe at postreports.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Martine Powers. Thanks for listening.